For our final forecast session, I'd just like to welcome back to the stage David Malone, who's going to be chairing the final um, keynote by Ben Ockrey. Ben and uh, David are just joining us now, so let's just give them both a round of applause. Ben Ockrey is a poet, playwright, a novelist. His book, The Famished Road, won the Booker Prize, and I have to say, is one of those books that influenced me over the years. His book, The Astonishing the Gods, was selected as one of the BBC's 100 novels that shaped the world. Last year, he reworked his book, Starbook, into The Last Gift of the Master Artist, which is, is a terribly arresting and, um, novel, if you haven't read it. And in July of this year, he will publish his latest work, Tiger Work, from which he's going to read. Ben Ockrey is, in, I'm only speaking personally, but um, he seems to me to be one of our most elegiac writers. Um, he's always written about, and I've always felt he must live in this strange place in the human imagination that's between storytelling and myth-making, something far older and far more mysterious. Ben's going to read from Tiger Works, and then um, we'll see what we want to talk about after that. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Ockrey. Thank you. Well, first of all, I want to say what a pleasure it is to be here. Um, it's my first visit to uh, City Hall since its famous establishment in the center of London. This looks wonderful. So quite a journey to get to, but when you get here, it's really amazing. As David said, I'm going to read from Tiger Work, and I'm going to read a, an impromptu poem, and um, we'll take it from there. Tiger Work, which is just coming out any minute now, is a, is a kind of a, a suite of my poems, essays, short stories, um, interviews, letters, all around the theme of climate change. I borrowed the form from, from two people, from Rudyard Kipling and from Georges-Louis Borges, who crafts these very delicate um, suites of, of, of books, of short pieces, that add up to something much bigger. Tiger work. Prowls the edges, dwindling in cages, into legend falling, from collective memory fading, hunted every hour for its eyes, its stripes, its power. When it vanishes, we will follow. Its absence will make us hollow. It lives in language, lives in law. That death begins in thought is a kind of law. And if it exists no longer, would this make weak or stronger our spiritual reach, our poetry and speech? It prowls dream and song and links us to earth and sun.
And every day, we grow smaller with the death of a single one. The loss of the fly is as great as that of the tiger. And the death of the last bug as tragic as the fading of the Niger. We need some ferocity to protect our humanity. Need mystery and presence to project force and the sense of justice. Our rights depend on our mental fights. We need spirit power in the streets and tower. Need it in the totem and high place as guardian spirit of the human race. Need it in the struggles of the street where climate denial and end of time meet. What else can mesmerize like the beauty of his eyes. It belongs to a higher order, composed of fire, mystery, dreams, conjunction of power and radiance, something prophetic, it seems. A compacted state of being, something we'll never accomplish, never get to, much as we would wish. An alternative route of evolution, form, and sign of a divine solution. Something about it is too much for us, like simple addition next to calculus. Stuns us with the limitation of our form and our messy everyday norm. Tells us we can be more, leap into better destinies than before. Primed for great battles ahead between those who want us dead and those who want to lift the human song to its highest gift. If we are to survive, fighting spirit must we revive. If, as a race, we'll thrive, tiger spirit must we keep alive. Thank you. I'm not sure what the mood here is, so um, I'm going to put that down for a minute, and let's talk. Okay. I think they're in a listening mood <laughs> for, for conversation rather than reading. Okay. Um, one of the, th the things that's always, as I mentioned in introducing you, struck me about your work is that your characters and the, the, and the stories that you tell, they're always more of a story, There's more than a story. The, the characters in your book, from The Little Boy in Famish Road, they're drawn on by a sense of the mythic. And I don't know that many writers who attempt to write myths. Do you think we've arrived at a point, this is the discussion we've been having, that we maybe we need new stories of ourselves? Do we need something more than just a story of ourselves? Do we need a new myth of ourselves, That's, you know, a myth that explains our place to ourselves? Yeah, that's a really big, big question, David. Um, and I can, I can see why folks are looking like they need a, a longer break. Um, you've been wrestling with huge uh, questions all day, and here we go again. Um, you know, the human, I think that the human being is so constituted. Um, from the moment that humanity became humanity, um, which is to say, 
with all the dimensions that make us complex uh, and rich and immeasurable. Um, from whatever moment that was in history, we always needed uh, more complex stories. Simpler stories were for simpler stages of our evolution. But as, as, we, as we become more complex, um, and, I'm, and, I, and I mean by complexity here, the, the bringing together of civilization, neurosis, contradictory desires, um, complex um, hungers for things that both uh, enlarge us and things that destroy us. This is human too, you know? Um, if you think of the fact that we spent over 100 years puffing away at things that, was, that we knew were ruining our lungs, for example. In other words, we have, we have these contradictory impulses. Um, that, that's part of what we are. We, we, we need um, stories of magnification. We need, we, 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 the more complex we are, the more complex the stories, but complexity of story is not the same thing as uh, um, complicated. Uh, the, the most complex stories are the ones that go deepest into what we are as human beings. And I don't know of stories more complex than the great myths that we've inherited. Um, for some reason, they're, they're, they are, um, they're composed of ancient um, themes, ancient structures, but they also have these tremendously enigmatic core that like, like no technology that I can think of, in fact, I can't think of a single existing technology that by itself expands or grows as we grow. I can't think of any. Not the aeroplane, not any of our computers. Left by themselves, they don't transform as we transform. But myth does. I mean, here we are, um, 5,000 years more complex than <laughs> what we were before. Um, and these same myths still get to the depth of what we are and more. They still reveal us to ourselves and they show us future possibilities. It's the strangest thing, how we've devised something in our past that still goes on speaking to our unlived and unimagined futures. It, it, for, for me, it's the most mysterious technology that we've, we've, we've invented, um, that, we've, that we, we, we've, we've shaped, carved out of the, um, the fire of living. So, so, so to make a myth, to try to make a myth and to even halfway succeed is one of the greatest things that an artist can do. And you have to remember that artists can make myth in words, they can make it in painting, they can make it in stone, they can make it in dance, um, and in some cases they can make it in conversation. <laughs> do you, you then feel that that well, that ancient well, hasn't dried up? There are, there's still a, a living essence which we can draw from it to explain ourselves in the future we're trying to imagine? Yeah, it's because it's, uh, it's, because it's, um, it's a magic well. Um, the more we draw from it, the more there is. Um, which is why it's different from the, the, the stories that we try to make in contemporary times. Um, our modern stories are 
they're not, they're not magic wells. Sometimes they're big lakes. Uh, and as, we, as we've seen in certain climates, in certain weather, lakes dry up. Big lake, you know, five days of terrific African sunshine. Lake gone, mud there. Big lake gone. Five days, six days, 10 days a month, gone, mud. You know? So what I'm talking about here is uh, the stories that, that we're encouraged to write now are, I would say, they're horizontal stories. They have vastness, they have extension, um, they, they appear to describe us. Um, they're, you know, they're tremendous in many ways. But they're not magic wells. I believe you. Maybe people out there believe you. If they believe you. There's something wonderfully um, empowering about that because that's something that we all have. I mean, for that, we've all inherited that ability for myths to touch us. And you don't have to be, we're not talking about religious belief, but even the most rational person, there's something in being human which draws from that well. It, does that mean that if an artist can draw from that, that, that they and the people that they're speaking to have that power themselves. It's, it's, it's a power which can't be taken away from us or, over, or, or tarmacked over by the powerful. It's something we, it's a, it's a, it's a human inheritance. Yes, it's, it's, it's linked, it's profoundly linked to our humanity. I don't know, I don't know what it is about, uh, about myth. I mean, I, yeah, you take any example, um, uh, you take something like Hamlet, which, we wouldn't think of as a myth, but it only endures because it edges and taps into, connects with that mythic undertow. Um, or you take, I'm trying to find, yeah, you take the myth of Antigone. Um, someone's dead, the state says you can't bury that person because they did us some wrong. So, Someone goes, buries that person, and then suddenly there's a tremendous tension between the state and the individual. That's, that's always been there. It's a myth of the relationship between power and the individual. The relationship between, if you like, the father, mother, and the children. It's a relationship between the, 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 the source or the foundation of, of social power and, 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 and the citizen. The, the king and, and the cobbler, you know? Um, is, this, is this the, the I'm sure it's the wrong word, but the contract, it's a horrible word, I'm sorry, I can't think of a better one, but the contract between the artist and those people who are reading or looking at what the artist is making, is that, is that where, what art has to, to nourish from people? Um, no, I think art just nourishes us because art is profoundly us. Um, I, don't, I, I never think of art or the artist as being separate from us. It's, the artist is us, profoundly us. That's well, that's all. very generous of you. You're much more of an artist than I am. <laughs> well, no, well, I no. read your works, you don't read mine. <laughs> yeah, but to read me as an artist, you have to be an artist too. <laughs> You know, to, uh, to get Shakespeare, you have to have something of Shakespeare in you. Otherwise, you can't get it. It would make, make no sense to you. And I think that's why when 
when a, when, a, when a civilization starts to lose connection with its myths, that is the sign of the true decline of that civilization. So when you hear that the people are no longer reading their, their own great stories, no longer telling their own great um, uh, myths, no longer um, going to the source of, of dance and legend, um, it's, already, it's already the beginning of a decline. It's, that's, that's it right there. Um, because it means they're not in contact with what is oldest and most nourishing and most truest and most enduring um, um, about, about us. It also means that there's something, it's a tremendously revolutionary act which every single person Takes can, can, can enact themselves yeah. simply by reaching back to that. Yeah, or reaching out to it. Because mm. I don't think it's back, I think it's always present. Mm. Picasso said something really, really powerful. He said, um, he was talking about paintings. Um, uh, and he was talking about old paintings. It's as if they're not present. They, they don't exist. They don't, uh, they're dead. Hmm. You know, so if Michelangelo is not, doesn't speak to you right now, forget it. And he's, he's absolutely right. That's the test. That's hmm. the test of their value, that they seem to speak even more powerfully about now, hmm. not about then. We don't really care much about then. We care much about now, here, our predicament. What's happening to us? Hmm. What's going to happen tomorrow? what we should do to change our journey, to change our road. When we think of the, the, the problems that beset us, we were talk, we've been talking about the environmental problems and then it was raised that, 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 that um, artificial intelligence will be something which we happen, have to grapple with. They sound so modern. Can we really believe that something as, as ancient in, our, in our, who we are as human beings, that the mythic can actually address those things? What would you say to the critic who says, look, that's, that's lovely, but you're talking about a bygone age. Our problems are, are technical and, and logical. Well, our problems are always technical and logical. Um, you know, if it wasn't, today it's AI. Um, at, at, one, at one point, it was just a, just a telephone. Um, you know, the, we, we forget how frightening um, the telephone was at one point. Um, or how disturbing the idea of television was, that somebody somewhere else can appear in your living room. It's still very disturbing. You know? Um, the onset of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the internet, each of these big, even reading, even reading. Someone came into a room where Saint, Saint, I think it was St. Ambrose was by himself, and he had, a, he, had a, he, had a, he had what appeared to be a piece of paper in his hand, and he was all by himself, and it was like muttering. And they came in and they watched him looking at this piece of paper, this wood in his hand, and muttering to it. And they thought something, something wrong had happened to him. They were disturbed by this, this solitude in which this person was speaking to, what he was, he was, he was reading. You know, the first readers read aloud. Um, the idea of the book uh, was, was terrifying to many people. So each new technology presents us with, the, with, with, with what appears to be the frontier of, of what we are and what, what we can be. And then we absorb it um, and we domesticate it. Um, and it turns out not to be as terrifying as we feared it would be. I can think of many stages, not just technology, but plagues. I remember when COVID first turned up. I mean, the, 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 the apocalyptic terror in the pages of the newspapers amongst one another. 
um, we didn't think that was going to be solved uh, or, or sorted out. Within two years, we, we, we did it. So yeah, AI, something like AI is something to be terrified of and worried about, but we, we, made, we made AI. Um, and we'll just simply have to scale up our intelligence, really. Are you an op optimistic about the future? Because it's, it's very fashionable to be terribly pessimistic. But if that well is not dry, is there, in your heart of hearts, are you optimistic about the human spirit being able to draw what it needs? Yeah, I don't think one has to be an optimist. I think one has to be a realist. Um, but I think you know, people have different definitions of what realism is. You know, one, one lot of people will say, oh, be real, be realistic. Um, and their realism is reductive. Their realism is we are, we are, we are negative, we are we're limited, we're just flesh and bones, we are, that's, that's what we are, be realistic. Uh, another kind of realism says, actually, we are flesh and bones, but we're also, we have this um, mysterious and unaccountable uh, capacity for autonomy of movement and thought and, and contemplation uh, and capacity for surprise, capacity for, for growth, capacity for overcoming, self-overcoming, capacity for, for humor. Humor in itself is devastating as a thing to possess in one's consciousness. Um, just you add all of these things together and it's much, much bigger than flesh and bones you're dealing fundamentally with a mystery. You're dealing with something um, a little bit unfathomable. Um, and that, for me, is the cause of, of, of confidence. If we can awaken all of those dimensions in us, we will create the future that we deserve. But it's, that's the difficult thing, how to awaken all those dimensions in us. It is a difficult thing, but if those dimensions are in us anyway, then it's not something we can be prevented from doing. It's not something that a police force can come and take away from us. It's, as you say, it's sleeping, but it is within each of us to awaken it. No one can stop us should we decide now is the time. No, no one can stop us but ourselves. But we can be encouraged to stop ourselves. Yeah. That's what power does. That's one of the most tremendous things that power does. That's what ideology does. That's what um, a prevailing, um, prevailing uh, fashion of thought does. Hmm. You know, so uh, an, a kind of an excessive materialism of the, of the perception of the human actually ends up limiting our sense of what we're capable of doing just by the fact of our perception of ourselves as being um, only two or two and a half dimensions. Mm. Just that perception alone already limits what we can do, even though we're capable of much more. So in a sense, we are liberated by the expansion of our philosophy, by the expansion of our sense of our possibilities as human beings. Mm. And to the degree that that is narrow and is kept narrow by some prevailing philosophy, and also a very, very powerful one, a very tangible one, by the way. I mean, a philosophy that says, I can believe only what I see. You show it to me, I believe it. It's very tangible, it's very powerful, because it's, it's absolutely correct. It's very hard to argue against that. But it's tremendously limiting, because there's so many things in us that you, I can't put in front of you as proof that I have it. 
that it exists in me, like a sense of humor, for example. If I say to you, without talking, put in front of me your sense of humor, you, you, you couldn't do it, yeah? Um, it's an invisible component in us. It only comes into existence um, in interaction um, uh, and as part of a, a social freedom, a social play, as it were. Take away that play, take away the concept of, of, the, of that freedom, and it's not there. So there are many things in us that don't come forth partly because we ourselves don't recognize them. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, it's one thing to say there are outside ideologies which encourage us to, to be small, to limit ourselves. Do you think there's also a sense in which we sometimes terrify ourselves? I'm, I, I was thinking of you know, one of your poets that you love, um, Rilke, the Duino Elegies, where he says every angel is terrified. Is there a sense in which we find ourselves terrified? Yeah, um, you know, there's some, there's, a, there's, a, there's some African tribes that, you know, describe the human beings as um, either monsters or angels. Um, um, and, and, and they're right. We are, we are, you know, sometimes I think all the monsters we invented in fiction is, is, is us. Um, is us. When we, um, when we act from darkness by God, <laughs> we can be Western monsters. Yeah, we're pretty dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we act from darkness, we can we can we can just destroy a million people like that. We can just do it. Us human beings, we just do it. A, a monster. How many how many people can a monster kill, compared to what we can do? That ability to transcend that, to transcend our the ideologies which tell us to be small, and our the fact that we sometimes terrify ourselves. Is this present moment and, and the, the things which confront us, is this a moment for art to step into that breach? And I don't just mean artists, but art, whether it's your art or theirs. So that it, is this moment more than just a, a technical fix that we need, that this, the, there is this deeper thing that, that only art can deliver? That re inflating of our faith in ourselves. You know, I was coming back from, from the States not that long ago, and I'm someone who hates flying. When I get into an aeroplane, um, all my worst imaginative prognosis uh, <laughs> comes into existence, and I magnify every sound, judder, um, whistle, um, and I put on, um, on the set that we had in front of each one of us, I put on Beethoven's um, third piano concerto. When I heard the first few notes, And then I heard the notes after that. Something in me just, I don't know what it was. I don't know what happened. Something in me, I don't know whether it dissolved or whether it expanded, whether it 
whether they transcended, whether they elongated, whether I don't know what it was, but suddenly I felt myself inside the vast castle. Inside the vast castle of all the possibilities of human courage. I wish I'd been on that flight with you. That sounds yeah. great. <laughs> for just for a moment, I just, suddenly I went from being this, Ben Rocker, he was a bit, oh, this flight. Suddenly I went, boom, I was in a space, vast space. And I began thinking about that. I'm thinking, that's all we need. That's really all we need. And I think that's what art, at its best, does. It releases us, boom, from our smallness into this, uh, collective, invisible, unknown greatness. Do you want to read something now? No, let's keep talking. <laughs> uh, are you sure? Yeah, I'd absolutely. like to hear what you've got to say there. <laughs> absolutely. Okay, all right. I, I, I have been trying, ladies and gentlemen. You, you're my witnesses, because I'm firmly convinced that Ben has many more interesting things to say than I have. But yeah, but we're having a good conversation, which is rare. Okay. All right. um, Tiger Works, I don't know where you got the title because I only just started reading the PDF that you published sent to me yesterday. But of course, it's an inevitable thing. You look at Tiger Works and you think of William Blake and, and that, what, you know, what hand created that tiger. Your tiger is spelt differently. Are you, is it a different tiger or you, do you still have that fear which Blake had at the beginning of this time we're now possibly at the end of. Was it, was, it, was it fear Blake had, or was it fear mixed with wonder? It was fear mixed with wonder, certainly, um, but it was a fearful image, wasn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and poets, poets have played with the image. Um, uh, for Blake, it was fearful. T.S. Eliot came along and talked about in the tumescence of the year came the tiger. For him, tiger was the Christ. Um, uh, and you talked about Rilke. His was a panther. He was a panther, yes. Um, prowling in the cage, mm -hmm. endlessly. Up, these were the things up, that I thought of as soon as I read Up it. and down, yeah. Um, and these are heraldic animals. And we, you know, we, we make animals heraldic because we are um, responding to the deep symbolism of what they represent. Because they're not just themselves, they are more than, they're, they're more than what they appear to be. And that's, that's what we do. Um. But you're trying, in that work, it's clear, you're trying to, it's a very different work from, say, The Famished Road or Astonishing the Gods. You're, 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 it's as if you're reaching out to your audience in a way which you didn't in The Famished Road. The Famished Road was a journey I had to come to you. You know, that, that river that became a road. Um, and I, this is reaching out, or I, it seems that way to me. I think we're in more urgent times. Um, I think there's a precipice just at our feet. No, not a precipice, that's, that's easy. There's an abyss at our feet. Hmm. Um, and behind us, um, space is vanishing. Um, that's where we are. We're on the edge of new times, either disaster for all of us or the beginning of a new story for humanity.
It's one or the other. Mm. Um, and I keep saying it, we can't go forward as we are. It's not possible. We can't. Because everything that we've done has brought us to this place. Mm. And so everything that we've done, inside everything that we've done, a lot of wonderful things, but inside it as well um, are the seeds of, of, this, of this apocalypse that we're mm. playing with, or that's playing with us. Um, and and we, 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 have to, we have to be new people. We, we can't well, go that's on. It. That's precisely what you we, just said. We cannot go on as we are. Yes, but it's, it's something in us. It's not, when you say we can't go on as we are, there's the sense of it being a road outside us. But when you said we can't go on as we are, it's we can't go on into a future being the people we've been. We have to. Yeah. But if we become yeah. new people, different people, if we reach back into that well and create a new myth for ourselves, then the future in front, us, in front of us doesn't have to have that precipice. The precipice is something we're creating from inside ourselves, in a sense. Inside ourselves and also with the work of our hands. We're doing it with our hands and we're doing it with our minds. But um, then we can undo it with both of those things, can we not? So we need a new, we need a new myth and we need a new action. We need both. I, I, I worry about action without, without vision. There's a lot of action without vision. But we need, a new, we need a new kind of action, a quantum kind of action, because it's urgent. It's, 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 it's more urgent than I can say. It's profoundly urgent. And we have got four billion people that we need to wake up to the urgency of this moment. It, it, it's not going to be sorted out by one million people being aware and changing their living. This is something that all of us, in some way, have to be part of. It's a humanity thing. It's not a, it's not a race thing. It's not a nation thing. It's not a class thing. It's not a gender thing. It's a humanity thing. It's, it's, it's big. So we need, we need new stories, and we need a new kind of quantum action. And we need it pretty quickly. So if you'd just like to get to it, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'd appreciate it, yeah. Um, questions? Yes, lady, there, there's... Could you please read the poem? <laughs> <laughs> you see, it's not just me, Ben. Not, not in five minutes. Can we have? Can we? Can we have? Can we have? Has, has anyone got anyone anything to say out of this? Out of the, our conversation here, can we hear what you think? Um, I'm, the question I wanted to ask is what myth you always come back to. I always come back to Orpheus and, and Eurydice. That's the one that I often think of about like loss and hope and unfairness. And so, yeah, since we've been talking about myths, I wonder. Which ones come back to you? Uh, no, I, I want to make that general. Who's, yeah, for what, anyone. What myths do you come back to? What myths, if any, in the audience? What myths do you come back to? What myths nourish you? I have a friend here who has a, uh, who, who's started an absolutely awesome book, uh, a book club, the most unique book club that I've heard of. And it's Rosemary Clooney, my friend here. And she has a book club called the Epic Book Club. And all they do is read the epics of the world. You know? So, Rosemary, do you have any, what myths do you come back to? Reading Gilgamesh, um, um, for, uh, I'd read it before. 
but I was shocked to see that um, um, Gilgamesh and his friend Enkidu kill Humbaba, who's actually the guardian of the forest, and then they cut down all the trees. And this is something like 4,000 years ago, and I thought, wow, we've been doing it all that time. It was the first, first deforestation in, in literature. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still relevant to yeah. us. Yeah. And um, we're, we're reading um, the, the Odyssey at the moment, which is incredible. It's interesting that uh, Humbaba was uh, garden of the forest, but also um, had darkness as well. It was a was an ambivalent, ambivalent god, and I, I, I find that fascinating. That the, the, the later, the later gods, while they don't lose their ambivalence, um, they don't straddle quite evil and good in, in quite the same way that Humbaba does. So it seems like as we, as as civilization came along, we simplified our gods. It's just, it's just a quick, quick thought. But I, I think that Humbaba needed to be a bit of a monster. He wasn't really God. He was, he was actually somebody um, with great powers. But maybe he needed to be a monster to be an to effective guardian of the forest. Maybe we need a few monsters to guard our forest. Um, nice yeah. one. Nice one. Anybody else? Any myths that anyone comes back to? That you talk about humanity, and we've got to come home in some to ourselves, to our true nature. And probably there's going to be a trial and a tribulation to get there if we do. And that's what we're facing and we're on the brink of it. And that's quite interesting to be pre-myth or in the myth, in the real myth. Thank you. Anybody else? I mean, one, one myth that I've been um, exploring a lot recently, and uh, most of my life, but again, recently through a great modern work, um, is T.S. Ellis' The Wasteland, which, which draws, um, the power of The Wasteland is that it draws from the Fisher King. Um, the Fisher King, the legend of the Fisher King, that something is wrong with the land, everything is dying, the waters, the trees, the rivers, the people are starving, um, and the Fisher King needs to heal something central in the land. Uh, and it goes back again to the, to the tale of Gawain, the Green Knights, and uh, Parsifal and asking the right question, um, asking the right questions. Um, I think we're, we're there, we're still there. The land is dying in some essential way. Uh, we're very successful in our rockets and spaceships and artillery, but in some essential way where the waters are drying up and we need, we need, to, we need to be fisher kings. We need to Ask the right question to heal this land. Let the water flow again, the water of compassion, uh, the water of vision, the water of imagination. What myth do you come back to, my friend? Gilgamesh has got to be the all-time killer because that's the one that starts at, that underlies everything, and it's just been there for such, such a long time. It seems almost extraordinary that it can still be as powerful as it is today and it's being constantly translated and reinterpreted but it continues to be as powerful as it ever was yeah i love gilgamesh yeah. there's something there's another element of gilgamesh that we that we don't talk about very much um and that's when um he made a journey to this place can, can you remember the, what the place is called um um and, and it really was a journey to not to the land of the dead um, but it was something like that. 
in order to make contact with someone who'd passed away. And then on the way back, he, he got the, he, he, did he get the seed of water of immortality? He, he gets it, yes, and yeah. then he loses it. Again. And then he loses it. Yeah. Yeah, I find that fascinating. Well, I was wondering about the Enuma Elish, which is the, the, the creation myth of, of the, the civilization that, that Gilgamesh gave, gave comes about. And the thing about that is, it's an older god. We're used to the, 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 the gods that have a covenant with us. But that's a very modern idea, idea. that God has a covenant. The gov that God cares about us in any way, shape, or form. The older gods don't. Tiamat, who's the, the goddess from whom everything comes. Everything comes from her. But she has absolutely no care for us at all. There is no covenant. She, and it's, it's like the, 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 the waters. They can bring life to the field, but they can also wash it away. And maybe that older myth is something we need to think about, that th there was a, a brutal honesty about those most ancient myths that nature can provide, but it has no intrinsic care for us whatsoever. Yeah, I think that's a very powerful idea, actually, and we've lost that. You're right. Um, so we need to be careful. Yeah, yeah. It's not a matter of healing her or looking after her. She'll, she'll be it's fine. Been, it's it's us, us who may disappear. She'll be fine if yeah. we all disappear yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. Nature will can, won't even notice that we're gone because she didn't notice that we're here. As, as in the past. <laughs> Thank you. I just, um, it's not a myth that I come back to, but it's a myth I think about in terms of when we're talking about climate change and the myth of Cassandra when nobody is believing the telling of the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's quite relevant. Do you? Absolutely. Do you? absolutely. I suppose um, I, I tend to think of myths, you know, belonging to cultures and being part of, you know, the, the possessions of, of one group and how that group identifies themselves. And I just wonder, you know, is a lot of our challenge that, that really for the first time we're trying to make myths for everyone? And we haven't, in the past, generally made myths for everyone. We've made them for our, our in-group and, and not the other group. I'm not sure we made them for our in-group. I'm not sure myths are as local as we think they are. I think myths came out of an in-group, but I don't know if they were meant only for that in-group. Um, and I think that's where um, myth differs from um, tribal ideology um, or tribal legend. I think, I think myth is, in some ways, boundaryless. You know, they took the myth of Jesus, this man who died on, the, died, died on the cross and came back. He died and came back. Uh, they took it to far distant tribes. They heard it and they heard their myths. So there's a, a subterranean resonance. Otherwise, it, it doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't translate. So my question is, why, do, why does myth translate? Why, why, why is it that stories of other people move me? Why am I moved by Odysseus? Odysseus is not my myth. Odysseus is not a Western myth, myth as such. It's a Greek myth, if you want. Um, but it's spread, it's affected, it's, it's infected, it's influenced the stars, our perception thereof. Why? You know, a man goes to war, he's away for a long time, and he has trouble coming back. He has a hell of a difficult time getting back home. That's big. 
That's us. We have a, we're having a hell of a, hell of a difficult time coming back home to who we are. You know, myth makes itself open for us to read uh, transnationally, interiorly, privately, um, as we want. That's its power. I think it's all about coming back home. I think there's one more question there. Oh, just another myth um, also about coming back home to some extent, which is Persephone. And also, I mean, it resonates. I think I come back to it because of the, the cycle of the seasons and how that links into myths in other cultures about, you know, the summer lady and the winter king. And, and kind of uh, my guess is it's pretty universal to have a myth which talks about the cycle of the seasons and the return of the sun. But then when you were talking about myths not um, arising from an in-group, um, it put me in mind of the flood myths as well and how widespread they are yeah. because... There were huge floods in ancient times, and each culture, I guess, told the story of the flood in their own way. Yeah. Ben, I yes. think there's one more lady back there. Yes, please. And then we probably will have to draw it to a close. Yes. Even in these mythic times. <laughs> but I'll draw it to a temporary close. Um, I apologize, because I don't have a myth that comes to mind, but I would say, that I very firmly believe that the climate movement is a people's movement, like it has to come from the people. Um, politicians are not gonna come fast enough for us, business leaders won't, media won't. Um, so any myth that sort of addresses um, anything that is non-binary, that people don't have to be good or evil to be able to participate in this movement, I think is really, really powerful. Thank you. Thank you, good note to end on. Ladies and gentlemen, Thank you. I just want to say a couple of thanks and then just finish on a couple of notes that have really proved very kind of thoughtful for me. Firstly, to just thank um, Dana, Latoya, Joe, and the Royal Docs themselves. Um, the GLA and UCL have all supported Forecast. Thanks so much to my team, particularly Rebecca and Ellie, are sitting at the back. Can we give a round of applause for them? They've done an amazing job <laughs> to get this whole thing up, up and running. Amazing. Um, we've got four more online events next week and the week after. So we've got the Art Science Films Africa. We've got an amazing um, project from Mexico with the Tarango Ravine. Um, myself and Alice um, Unduin of the Art Change from, from France. And then we've got the Open Data Institute with Julie Freeman, who was on the panel this afternoon. So don't miss those online. We, we put them, at, I think they're about two o'clock. Hopefully you can slide them in between other things you're doing in your day, particularly if you're working online. And I just wanted to finish up with a couple of things after that amazing thing from Ben Ocri about why stories are important. And the poet Wordsworth, he looked at different types of imagination. And I thought this was very striking when I heard this idea. I hadn't really thought about different types of American imagination previously. Um, he said that there are rational, where we make connections, and artistic, which reaches into the subconscious. And I think what we've done today is we've heard from a lot of people who have reached into our subconscious. We've had myths. We've had Amy talking about our dreams. We've had amazing kind of economics in terms of storytelling and the kind of whole wealth of, uh, of disputes and discussions around that. And then I think 
Ben had that wonderful line in his poem, we need ferocity to pr protect humanity. And I'd like to finish on that one because I do think that Ben is the person we should finish on. So thank you very much and I hope you enjoy today. Thank you.